Just after midnight on February 10, 2014, Dr. Grigory Rudchenkov rolled a huge metal cart through a secure lab in Sochi, Russia. This facility was run by the Worldwide Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA. It was the central testing site for the ongoing Winter Olympics. Dr. Rudchenkov was the head of Russia's National Anti-Doping Center. He worked closely with WADA to test Olympians for performance-enhancing drugs, which was why Dr. Rudchenkov's cart was loaded with the lab's most carefully guarded product, human urine. The urine samples were from athletes scheduled to compete the next day. Dr. Rudchenkov was supposed to store these samples in a secure freezer before testing. But instead, he rolled his card into a small closet away from surveillance cameras. He emptied the urine bottles and filled them with different samples collected from athletes months ago. Then he resealed the jars and placed these new samples in the secure freezer. Nobody knew the difference. Rudchenkov figured he was safe after making the switch. Little did he know, though, that within months, he'd be on the run for his life. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second of two one-part episodes on the more nefarious side of the Olympic Games. Today, we'll be investigating the use of performance-enhancing drugs by Olympic athletes, a process known as doping. Many athletes use these substances to gain a competitive edge in the Games. In this episode, we'll cover the long history of Olympic doping. We'll explore the early years, when rules against drugs were essentially non-existent, as well as the changes after several doping scandals and deaths. Next, we'll examine a few conspiracy theories surrounding Olympic drug use, particularly around the 2014 Sochi Winter Games. At these games, Dr. Grigory Rudchenkov was accused of doctoring thousands of urine samples for Russian athletes. However, he claimed he was just a pawn in a state-sponsored conspiracy. This allegation shocked the world and sent Dr. Rudchenkov into hiding. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. 
So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. The Olympic Games were founded over 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece. The Games were intended to pit the best athletes of Athens, Sparta, and Thebes against each other in sports like running and wrestling. Winning brought great honor to athletes, their families, and their nation. With stakes so high, inevitably, there was cheating. Competitors bribed judges or wrote evil curses and hid them around the arena. They used forbidden tactics like biting or eye gouging. When cheaters were caught, they were banned from competing or publicly flogged. Many had to pay fines, and the money was used to build statues inscribed with their names and shameful deeds. The modern Olympic Games were revived in 1896 by the International Olympic Committee, or IOC. The new games brought new methods of cheating. Modern competitors had tactics far more sophisticated than those of the ancient Greeks, like performance-enhancing drugs. These are substances that increase strength, reduce fatigue, or numb pain. Anything that can give an athlete an edge against a competitor. But surprisingly, they weren't banned in the early days of the IOC. This was because the Olympics were considered amateur sports, There was little professional oversight or regulation about what competitors could or couldn't do. Seeing an opportunity, some athletes took full advantage of that freedom. The first recognized case of doping took place at the 1904 Summer Olympics in St. Louis. At the 22-mile marker, American marathon runner Tom Hicks was quickly losing steam, So his coach handed him a strange liquid concoction and told him to drink it. It was a mixture of brandy, egg white, and strychnine, which was a fatal poison. In large doses, it caused violent muscular contractions and death. But Hicks' coach believed a small amount could keep muscles contracting, even when they were overfatigued, like near the end of a grueling 26-mile race. And the coach was right. The strychnine revived Hicks, and he won the gold medal. Unfortunately, he was unable to claim his prize. As soon as he crossed the finish line, he collapsed and nearly died. 
Despite the shocking outcome of the marathon, Hicks was unapologetic about using drugs to finish. In his mind, winning was worth it, no matter the cost. And despite the fact he'd cheated, there were no rules against using strychnine. He was allowed to keep his medal. Few other athletes were as daring as Hicks, but many turned to a more common substance, alcohol. Whiskey, brandy, and sherry were all used by early Olympians who wanted to dull pain or relax overworked muscles. And like Hicks, none of them faced any consequences. Then, in the 1930s, chemists began selling a new synthetic stimulant called amphetamines. The drugs gave athletes more energy, increased their reaction times, and made them more alert. When the Olympics were held in Germany in 1936, athletes were accused of using amphetamines. The rumors caught the attention of Adolf Hitler. He ordered German chemists to develop their own amphetamines, which Nazi troops used in World War II to prepare for battle. In the 1950s, yet another performance-enhancing drug debuted at the Olympics, synthetic testosterone. This hormone increased strength, but it wasn't instantaneous. The testosterone increased muscle mass over time, meaning athletes had to take the drugs months before competition. During the 1952 Summer Olympics in Helsinki, Finland, weightlifters from the Soviet Union dominated the competition. They won seven medals, but an American coach claimed it was because the entire team was being dosed with testosterone. And since doping wasn't illegal, the Americans didn't want to be left behind. They launched their own synthetic testosterone program, led by a U.S. Olympic doctor named John Ziegler. His team learned that while Soviet testosterone treatments increased muscle size, it had significant side effects. The drug deepened athletes' voices, increased libido and aggression, and even caused prostate issues. Ziegler was determined to create a version that affected muscle mass with fewer unwanted complications. The result was a new class of drugs called anabolic steroids. Chemically, they were similar to testosterone, but had fewer side effects than the drugs taken by Soviet competitors. Ziegler tested them on American athletes, and within two years, many became national champions. But Ziegler soon discovered that these drugs, too, had a downfall. Some athletes were taking 20 times his recommended dose of steroids. Fearing for his patient's safety, he discontinued his experiments. Other doctors weren't as cautious, so throughout the 1950s and 1960s, doping became more common, and so did the deadly consequences. Knud Jensen was a Danish cyclist competing in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. The day of the race was a sweltering 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Only 12 miles from the finish line, Jensen collapsed onto the pavement, injuring his head badly in the process. He was rushed to a hospital, but lapsed into a coma and died. His official cause of death was heat stroke and brain trauma, but an autopsy revealed amphetamines in his system. A Danish trainer admitted he'd provided the entire bicycle team with the drug. Jensen's death caused public outcry. The Olympics were supposed to be about unity and sportsmanship. Instead, they were becoming a race for who had the best performance-enhancing drugs. The International Olympic Committee was forced to take action. 
1964 Tokyo Olympics banned amphetamines and other drugs from cycling events. The IOC checked riders for injection marks, searched their belongings, and tested their urine. If cyclists failed these tests, they couldn't race. The ban worked, and none of the athletes were found using amphetamines. This was the very first time the Olympics attempted to control drug use among their athletes. By 1967, the IOC expanded these regulations from cycling to all other sports. Doping was no longer accepted in any form. If these new protocols weren't clear enough, the IOC even spelled it out in writing. The official rule outlawing performance enhancers specified that, quote, the use of substances or techniques in any form or quantity, alien or unnatural to the body, would not be tolerated. During the 1968 Olympics, the IOC tested dozens of random athletes for doping. The list of banned substances included stimulants and narcotics. However, there was one noticeable omission, steroids. Because they work so slowly, they weren't considered as effective as other substances. So, as the IOC cracked down on amphetamines, reliance on steroids grew. Many athletes in strength-based events, like weightlifting, figured they had to take steroids to stay competitive. Some historians estimate that by the early 1970s, up to one-third of U.S. track and field athletes were taking steroids. It wasn't until 1975 that the IOC finally added these synthetic drugs to their banned substance list and began testing for them. At first, testing was overseen by an organization within the International Olympic Committee called the IOC Medical Commission. This group oversaw all the Olympic anti-doping measures, as well as general health of athletes. Most other athletic events, like the Tour de France, had similar committees. But this meant the complex rules about doping weren't uniform across each organization. By 1999, the IOC decided that doping was too big for each sport to handle individually. There needed to be a centralized authority that provided guidance to all athletic organizations around the world. This led to the creation of the Worldwide Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, in November of 1999. Their mission was to protect the rights of athletes and integrity of sports. They worked with labs all over the world to develop and implement new anti-doping measures like drug tests. Each year, their methods improved. For the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, they planned to perform nearly 2,500 urine and blood tests. One IOC member claimed that the Sochi Games would, quote, have the most stringent anti-doping program in the history of the Winter Olympics. But this directly contradicts another claim, that the Sochi Olympics were actually the most corrupt in modern history. Namely, because the Dr. Wada trusted to keep athletes clean was the same one at the helm of an illegal drug ring. Coming up, the steroid scandal that consumed the Olympics. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? 
I'm Estefania Hagman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Throughout the modern era of the Olympics, performance-enhancing drugs were used by athletes to gain a competitive edge. From alcohol to amphetamines to anabolic steroids, each of these substances were finally banned by the IOC by the 1970s. However, doping still plagued international athletics well into the 21st century. In 2014, Russia hosted the Winter Olympics in Sochi, a large resort town on the coast of the Black Sea. The games were not just a matter of national pride, but a personal mission for Russian President Vladimir Putin. He wanted the Sochi Olympics to restore Russia's image as an influential world power. Putin was heavily involved in planning and financing the games. Some experts estimate that Russia spent nearly $50 billion on venues, housing, and infrastructure. This made it one of the most expensive Olympic Games ever. And after they were over, Russia's gain appeared to be worth the cost. Russian athletes won a whopping 33 medals in total. 13 of them were gold. Putin's mission to demonstrate Russian superiority was a success. At first, there was little suspicion cast towards the victories. The Worldwide Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, claimed that Sochi was the cleanest Olympics in history. Their officials tested over 2,500 athletes to ensure none were doping. But in December of 2014, a German news channel aired a documentary called The Doping Secret, How Russia Makes Its Winners. In the film, director Hayo Zeppelt made startling accusations about Russia's athletic program. He claimed that during the Sochi Olympics, the vast majority of Russia's athletes were using steroids and other performance-enhancing drugs. Zeppelt's sources accused several coaches and Russian officials of being a part of the scheme. They provided athletes with drug regimens and helped them beat WADA tests. WADA officials went on to launch their own investigation based on Zeppelt's collected evidence. They identified the mastermind behind the doping program. 
It was Dr. Grigory Rudchenkov, the head of Russia's anti-doping agency. Which leads us to conspiracy theory number one. During the Sochi Games, Dr. Grigory Rudchenkov faked hundreds of doping tests for the benefit of Russian athletes. Dr. Grigory Rudchenkov was an accomplished scientist with a PhD in analytical chemistry. He'd been the head of Russia's anti-doping agency since 2005 and had worked extensively with performance-enhancing drugs. He claimed his interest in steroids started back when he was a student athlete and never faded. These claims brought trouble in 2001, though, when his sister, a champion runner, was arrested for possession of banned substances. Allegedly, she received these drugs from Dr. Rudchenkov. The incident soon brought him under investigation. A scandal ensued, and Rudchenkov attempted suicide. Rudchenkov was placed in a mental health clinic as the Russian government built a case against him. While waiting to be summoned to court, though, he continued to advise Russian athletes on their drug regimens via the clinic's computers. But a few months later, the Russian government dropped all charges against him. He was released from the institution and told to return to work at the anti-doping lab in Moscow. Rudchenkov didn't understand why he had a sudden reversal of fortune, at least until he heard about trouble brewing with the Sochi Winter Olympics. The International Olympic Committee and WADA were pressuring the Russian government to have strict anti-doping regulations. This meant having a dedicated testing lab. Before his arrest, Dr. Rudchenkov ran the only WADA-approved lab in Russia. It seemed that even with his controversial reputation, he was still their best option. The outcome was full of back and forthing. After Rudchenkov was reinstated, WADA officials claimed they found multiple violations in this lab. An investigation was launched, but then canceled. It appeared that the IOC didn't want a scandal in Russia right before the start of the 2014 Winter Olympics. Instead, they trusted that Dr. Rudchenkov's reinstatement meant the lab was running correctly. However, it appeared that the IOC's faith in Dr. Rudchenkov was misplaced. WADA officials found that while running the anti-doping lab in Moscow, Dr. Rudchenkov was simultaneously selling steroids to athletes. He'd spent years developing a cocktail of three anabolic steroids, metanolone, trenbolone, and oxandrolone. These substances turn on the metabolic pathways the body uses to build muscle tissue. Dr. Rudchenkov told athletes that this mixture allowed them to recover faster and train harder. He advised them to mix the steroids with alcohol to increase their absorption into the body and make them harder to detect. Then, during the actual Sochi Olympics, Dr. Rudchenkov took a brazen new step. He destroyed thousands of incriminating urine samples and replaced them with clean ones. The switch was so alarming because this type of forgery was supposed to be impossible. The IOC stored urine samples in a tamper-proof glass vial called a Berlinger bottle. These bottles featured a set of metal teeth built into the lid. Once sealed, they couldn't be opened without destroying the lid. Supposedly, this design prevented anyone from secretly opening the samples. 
but someone working with Dr. Rudchenkov found a way to open them. Every night during the Olympics, after other WADA employees left, his team gathered urine samples from Russian athletes and went to work. They had converted an inconspicuous storage room into a secret lab and even cut a hole in the wall for clandestine handoffs. This connected the storage room to another part of the facility outside of the secured perimeter. With the help of accomplices, Dr. Rajenkov says he used this hole to smuggle in clean urine. Since there were no cameras in the storage room, Rajenkov was free to make the switch. He threw out the tainted urine and replaced it with clean samples. Then he resealed the bottles and replaced them on the cart. He went back into Wada's lab and put them in the secure freezer for testing. Yet once Wada investigators started looking, they found plenty of proof of Rajenkov's process. For example, microscopic scratches on the inside of many Berlinger bottles. They also found the secret storage room lab, which even still had the hole in the wall. After WADA investigators published their report, Dr. Rudchenkov resigned in disgrace. He was vilified by the Russian sports minister and President Putin. The Russian government claimed they were horrified at this rogue scientist's actions. They denied any knowledge and launched their own state-sponsored investigation. Dr. Rudchenkov fled his homeland and sought refuge in the U.S. It seemed the case was at a stalemate. But just days before the start of the 2016 Olympics, the scandal returned to the public eye. Earlier that summer, the Olympic Committee that oversaw track and field events banned Russian athletes from those sports. Now, there was a growing call to prevent all Russian teams from attending the Games. The Russian government believed this ban was politically charged and baseless. They claimed that the Sochi scandal rested solely on Dr. Ruchenkov. With him gone, Russian athletics were clean again. Critics insisted that the consequences needed to be more severe. The integrity of the Olympics had been compromised. The IOC needed to make a statement that doping resulted in harsh penalties. However, after hours of debate, the IOC decided not to issue a ban on Russia. They claimed it was to protect athletes who hadn't participated in the doping scandal. Instead, they said athletes should be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. So, despite vocal opposition, most Russian athletes were allowed to compete in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. It appeared they weren't doping anymore. Still, the evidence that Russian athletes were doping during the Sochi Olympics, despite the tests, was proven by WADA. From scratched Berlinger bottles to a secret lab, it all adds up. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I say the theory that Dr. Rudchenkov switched Russian doping tests is a 10. And given Dr. Rudchenkov's personal history with doping, even in his own family, I think there's plenty of evidence. As the head of the anti-doping lab, he was the most qualified to develop and execute the plan. I give this theory a nine. Some people, including Dr. Rudchenkov himself, claim that this conspiracy theory doesn't go far enough. He argues that he was just a pawn in an operation that included the Russian sports ministry, intelligence agencies, 
and even President Vladimir Putin himself. Coming up, Dr. Rodjenkov goes public to protect himself from assassination. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now, back to the story. In 2015, the Worldwide Anti-Doping Agency released a shocking report about Russia's success at the Sochi Olympics. They alleged that Dr. Grigory Rodchenkov was helping Russian athletes avoid doping tests while also managing the nation's anti-doping lab. This meant that the medals Russian athletes took in 2014 were likely illegitimate wins. To avoid embarrassment, Rodchenkov's government quickly disavowed his actions. He was forced to resign, but the doctor claimed he was just a small piece of a larger puzzle. This brings us to conspiracy theory number two. The Russian government orchestrated a massive state-sponsored doping program with President Vladimir Putin behind it all. In 2014, documentary filmmaker Brian Fogel met Rodchenkov while working on a documentary called Icarus. The film was meant to expose how prevalent steroids were in professional athletics by using Fogel himself as an example. Fogel planned to compete in a grueling cycling event without using any performance-enhancing drugs. Then he would take steroid treatments and enter the race the following year. Fogel believed he could vividly illustrate the difference between an athlete that was doping and one that wasn't. But he needed a scientific advisor familiar with steroids to guide him through the process. He approached a prominent anti-doping expert. Unsurprisingly, he refused to participate. He claimed that any project using performance-enhancing drugs would damage his reputation. But the expert believed there might be someone willing to help Fogel Dr. Rudchenkov. The Russian enthusiastically designed a drug regimen for Fogel and explained how to beat doping tests. He invited the filmmaker to his lab in Moscow and illustrated how the urine tests worked and, more importantly, how they could be fooled. But halfway through the filming process, the water report was released. Overnight, Rudchenkov became a pariah. With that, Fogel realized his documentary could be something more than just a simple experiment. It could be an expose. At first, Dr. Rudchenkov was vague about his innocence, even to Fogel. But as time went on, Fogel noticed that Dr. Rudchenkov was more desperate, even paranoid. Finally, Dr. Rudchenkov told Fogel that it was too dangerous for him to remain in Russia. The chemist asked to stay with the filmmaker in Los Angeles until the danger passed, and Fogel agreed. Dr. Rodchenkov destroyed his computers and files and then bought a ticket to the United States. He left behind his entire family and boarded a plane. As soon as he landed in Los Angeles, he finally told Fogel why he thought the Russian government was out to get him. 
In a series of astonishing interviews, Dr. Rudchenkov told Fogel his side of the story. He claimed he was a cog in a massive state-operated machine with one mandate, to win Olympic medals. Rudchenkov said it all started back in 2011. He'd been placed in a psychiatric institution and was awaiting criminal charges for distributing performance-enhancing drugs. But soon the charges were dropped and he was asked to return to work. Shortly after, he was approached by a man from Russia's Federal Security Service, or FSB, an agency kind of like the CIA and FBI rolled into one. The FSB agent made it clear that Rudchenkov's freedom had a price. He was to prescribe doping regimens to Russian athletes on top of granting the FSB access to Moscow's anti-doping lab. Rudchenkov had no choice. He agreed. Rachenkov cited this as the sole reason he created steroid treatments for Russian Olympians. And it wasn't just during the 2014 Sochi Olympics. He'd administered steroids for the 2012 London Summer Olympics as well. Rudchenkov said that FSB agents spent months examining his lab and probing employees for information. They asked pointed questions about doping and urine testing. Above all, they wanted to know about the allegedly tamper-proof Berlinger bottles. Eventually, Rudchenkov was asked to procure several Berlinger bottles for the FSB agents. He claimed that the agents used these samples to figure out how to open them covertly. The process was kept a highly classified secret. Even Rudchenkov never knew how it was done. He claimed that during the Sochi Olympics, it was the FSB agents who were tasked with switching the samples. Every night, Rudchenkov received a list of athletes from a Russian sports ministry official. These were the people that needed their urine swapped out. Dr. Rudchenkov and one of his associates gathered these samples and headed to the storage room that the FSB had converted into a lab for him. They also made the hole in the wall to pass contraband in and out of the secure WADA facility. Each night, Dr. Rudchenkov passed the sealed, intact Berliner bottles through the hole. The FSB agents on the other side opened it and passed it back to Rudchenkov along with an athlete's clean urine sample. He emptied the bottle, wiped it down, and replaced it with clean urine. Then he adjusted the pH or other variables to make sure the WADA officials testing it were none the wiser. And while the WADA report stated only a few hundred samples were tainted, Dr. Rudchenkov claimed it was far more. He estimated that thousands of samples were destroyed to hide the extent of the program. Fogel asked Rudchenkov who he thought was responsible for the program. It took significant political authority to command the FSB to launch this operation. The sports ministry, too, had to provide Rudchenkov with lists of athletes scheduled to be tested, which was secure information. Rudchenkov claimed the conspiracy went all the way to the top of Russia's government. He said that the only man who could have ordered his previous drug charges dropped was the president. Rudchenkov considered it impossible for the conspiracy to exist without Putin's approval, though he didn't have any proof. Dr. Rudchenkov was incensed that the government had disavowed the very actions it had forced him into taking. And as public outrage grew and Russia faced sanctions, the disgraced chemist knew that his homeland was no longer safe. 
Because of his central role in this state-sponsored doping campaign, he was a liability, one that the Russian government might be tempted to eliminate. That fear motivated him to leave his entire family behind and flee Russia. And it appeared that these worries weren't unfounded. Not long after Dr. Rodchenkov arrived in California, one of his friends died suddenly. Nikita Kamayev worked with the doctor at his Moscow lab, helping with the doping program. He told Rodchenkov that he was writing a book about the experience, but a few days later, he suffered a massive heart attack. His official cause of death was natural causes, but Rodchenkov wasn't so sure. Less than two weeks before Nikita's death, another associate from the anti-doping lab had died. His cause of death was undisclosed. Rodchenkov thought that unless he acted soon, he may be next to have a heart attack. He and Fogel contacted the New York Times and the U.S. Department of Justice and told his story. By making the Russian chemist a public figure, they hoped he would be safe from assassination. The Times published an astonishing interview with Rodchenkov listing Russia's doping transgressions. While the interview made him famous, the Justice Department didn't think fame alone could keep Rodchenkov safe from Russian retaliation. They advised Rodchenkov to enter the witness protection program for his own safety. He agreed and vanished into anonymity. Even today, his whereabouts are unknown. In 2018, Brian Fogel's documentary, Icarus, won an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Fogel dedicated the award to Rodchenkov. While Dr. Rodchenkov's story is compelling, it may not be true. By his own admission, he provided performance-enhancing drugs to athletes long before the Sochi Olympics. It's possible he invented the story of a vast government conspiracy to shift blame off of himself. I think that's unlikely. The German documentary that sparked the WADA investigation also implicated various government officials. It was clear that doping athletes was a systemic problem. To pin it on one man seemed short-sighted. That's fair. It was impossible for Rodzinkov to tamper with the urine samples alone. He needed FSB agents to unseal the Berliner bottles and a contact in the Russian sports ministry to tell him which bottles to switch out. Dr. Rachenkov took on great risk forging these drug tests, even though he had very little to gain personally. But for President Vladimir Putin, there were obvious benefits. The Russian president tirelessly campaigned to host the Olympics and spent billions in public funds on the Sochi Games. If Russian athletes didn't bring home medals, it would be a massive embarrassment to him and his administration. The Russian government had the means, motive, and opportunity to pull off this conspiracy. Dr. Rodchenkov alone didn't. I give the Russian government operation theory a 9 out of 10. While I think it's likely that this was a state-sponsored doping effort, I still find Dr. Rodchenkov an unreliable witness. He shifted positions enough times to make it seem he'd do anything to save himself from prosecution. I give this theory a 7 out of 10. Before 1967, the Olympics were rife with performance-enhancing drugs. 
Athletes face tremendous pressure to win not just for themselves, but for their countries. Yet these stakes didn't change after the International Olympic Committee banned doping. It just forced the methods of achieving them underground. But new changes may be on the horizon. In December 2020, the Court of Arbitration for Sport found that Russia was not in compliance with anti-doping rules. As a result, the country's national teams were banned from all world championship events through 2022. The Russian flag won't be flown and the national anthem won't be played at the Summer Olympics in Tokyo or the Winter Games in Beijing. Hopefully, this absence will be a warning to those considering cheating in the future. Perhaps not participating in the games in any capacity is what it takes to finally convince athletes that doping isn't worth the cost. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Evan McGahee, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Bairley and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. (laughs) 